Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 278. Today I'm joined by my buddy, Bill Thompson, and we are discussing hunting stags and deer data related to scrapes. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine on this 13th day of April. Sitting here sipping a little coffee. Got up this morning, let the dog out, and walked outside. And it was a nice, brisk 40 degrees. And 
it made me feel like I should be out scouting. It's like one of those perfect mornings. Now, it's not great for shed hunting because it's kind of bright out. Uh, well, actually, it's really bright out. Um, but it was one of those mornings where it was like, man, I should be out in the woods walking around with the dog. It's nice and cold out, you know, or not super cold, but brisk where it's like you're not going to get too hot, just like a perfect day for it. But unfortunately, I have some family errands that I have to run today. But I did get a chance to get out and scout yesterday. And of course, yesterday morning, it basically pissed rain all morning. And uh, I, I wasn't really interested in walking around in the in the rain for the whole day. So I waited till the rain kind of eased up because my, my family is out of town. The, the, the kiddos actually stay, stayed with my parents this past weekend. And uh, my wife was away uh, with some of her girlfriends for, for a birthday party. So I had the weekend to myself. So the big plan was, was like, hey, let's get some scouting done. Um, you know, looking at the weather, I thought maybe that might pan out. But unfortunately, Saturday was kind of uh, kind of a half day, I guess, if you will. But with that said, I was able to get out and actually, you know, traipse through the timber, the area that I really kind of wanted to check out. Uh, there was one, I guess, really kind of two spots that I hadn't yet completely assessed. One spot is a place that I had turkey hunted in the past. And that can kind of, that you know, for all intents and purposes, that can kind of wait because I'm probably going to end up turkey hunting that spot here uh, in the next in the next couple of weeks. It's local to me. It's not too far away. The only bummer is, is though, while I was out this weekend, man, the green up really kind of uh, started already um, to where I already was not able to see as well in the timber as I had been able to in the past. Now, the ground still isn't completely covered, but it's like every, everything's just kind of starting to bud and, and things like that to where your visibility, because I, I, one of my favorite parts of being able to scout during the winter or early spring is that there's not squat on the trees. And so if you think you see something a hundred yards away in the timber or whatever it is, you pull up some binos and you can kind of scout really quick an area uh, with your binos. So that, that part of it is kind of quickly leaving, which I'm always kind of, kind of bummed about. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it was a, it was a good scout yesterday. It was just good to get out and, and, and do some walking. I didn't find anything uh, terribly impressive, you know, so this, this was actually a piece where I had, two cameras stolen last year. So the particular area that where the cameras were stolen, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to a different area. Um, those were kind of risky setups to begin with because it's the easiest. I won't say it's the easiest part. Well, it is the easiest part to access, um, but I have had good deer on camera in the past and I hadn't had anything stolen and I actually had a really good encounter there. I guess it was two years ago. Um, so I had some cameras up and they got stolen. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to the part where I don't think anyone is going to be and that's what I did last year. Hung some cameras, didn't really see anything, a couple small bucks. And, but there was a particular part of this piece that I had never scouted. Um, it was kind of in the back corner of the place, uh, kind of a shitty walk to get to, um, for a bunch of different reasons. But I was like, you know what, let me, let me see if I can make my way back there and check out this one point. So made my way back there and, uh, lo and behold, there was, there was nothing on my way back. There was kind of like a, I don't know, I guess an old light line or gas line or something like that. I kind of checked out. There was some uh, rubs along that. There was a little patch of uh, of hemlocks and some pine that I kind of meandered through. You know, and, and this was like the second area I wanted to check out because I could see on the map. Um, I want to look at like the state game lands maps and stuff like that. that there's supposed to be some some oak trees back in this area. So I was like, you know what, if I can go back there and find some white oaks, it might might be worth just kind of a a camera or maybe even just a flyer sit during the, during the fall, whenever maybe the wind isn't right for some of the other places I want to hunt just to kind of, you know, suss it out. So I got back in there and, uh, 
nothing. I mean, there were some red oaks and stuff like that, but there just wasn't anything for deer sign. So that was all kind of a bust. Um, but it's better to know now than to than to figure it out figure it out later. And so now I know, I mean, I don't have to spend any time there. Unfortunately, the best spot to kind of hunt in that entire piece was actually the areas that I had my had have had cameras stolen. So, you know, maybe we'll trade, maybe we'll make our way back in there. But overall, I think this, this spring has been pretty good, uh, locally for kind of picking out some new spots. I've got a couple new kind of setups to check out, uh, to have cameras soaking on. I've got some historical places that have been, you know, good to me historically, um, and so I think locally things have kind of rounded out. And of course, you know, um, in the, uh, in going up North, that place is really kind of rounding into shape and I'm super, super stoked to get up there this fall and, uh, and do some hunting. So one, one more spot to kind of check out, uh, during Turkey season, probably. And then we'll call it a, call it a day at least for the breaking new ground. And then it'll be all about, you know, a couple turnarounds and making sure all the cameras are out, um, to start catching some uh, some velvet popping. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just get jumped into today's show. Um, have my good buddy Bill Thompson on. Uh, Bill's been on one other time. Bill owns the Spartan Forge uh, mapping app that, I, um, that I've been using for the past, I don't even know now, probably the past two years. And they got a bunch of cool stuff that's, uh, that's coming out, uh, some new... Um, some new kind of mapping features and just some overall new new features for the for the app. And then they have a, a desktop model, I believe, that's also going to be coming out, which is awesome. For those of us that do like to kind of hop on a big screen and kind of dive in a little bit uh, a little bit further. But during this session, you know, Bill last year, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, when you get into the hunting business, so to speak, um, you know, friends of mine have warned me at least that when you're in the hunting business, you don't hunt nearly as much as those who are not in the hunting business. And every one of my buddies who legitimately work in the hunting industry, that is 100% true. And so Bill kind of found that out this past year, but he had he had some really good hunts, did some really cool stuff uh, with a with a veterans hunt that they're going to be doing again this year. And then he did manage to make his way to Scotland. And one of the things I've always wanted to do was to go kind of couple a family vacation, you know, overseas or somewhere and do some hunting somewhere kind of brand new. Um, and so that's something else that we, we talked about because he had a great hunt while he was, was in Scotland. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just get jumped into today's show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. This evening, you'll recognize the voice on the other line as my good buddy, Mr. Bill Thompson, Spartan Forage. What's going on, brother? Hey, bud. How are you? I'm good, man. So how have, uh, so it's been, I'm trying to think how long it's been since you've been quote unquote retired. Cause you, you retired from one thing and then you kind of jumped from the, you know, right, right in from the frying pan into the fire. Right. But, uh, how, yeah, long, absolutely. how long has it been since you've been a civvy? So I retired. Okay. So there's like two. So I started my leave. I had like almost, I think four months of vacation banked when I got out. Um, and so well, I should say when I, when I left the military, so I signed out on leave. So I'm technically like, Still in the military, but I believe that was in like late July or early August. I can't remember when that was, but I ended up take starting too late. But anyway, I had all of those days banged, and, and but I actually signed out of the military, like was officially done on one November. Okay. So, but it's been you know yeah absolutely out of the frying pan into the fire. Like I <laughs> I I took a little bit of a vacation right after. <clears throat> I got out of the military. I went with my fiance to Scotland for like two weeks and did an awesome stag hunt out there that we can talk about later. Um, and then uh, came back here and basically just worked on the application until, well, until now. We're until. Still, I'm still working on. I'm still, you know, averaging between 10 and 
14 or 15 hour days right now um just until this next update that we'll talk about later gets out i'm sure you'll ask about later um but yeah that's pretty much been since then if you were to ask me how long ago that was it feels like i've been out of military for 18 months or two years and it's been like a few months right (laughs) nice so it's uh yeah dude definitely from the uh, frying pan to the fire how was uh i want to ask you about the stag hunt of course but how was uh how was your trip to Scotland? Because I actually went there. My wife and I went there on our honeymoon. This was eons ago because we've been married. I hope she's not listening. I want to say I think this is year eighteen this year or year nineteen. I can't remember. Okay for you. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So we we spent a little bit of time in Scotland as well, and I I it was one of the coolest places I'd ever been. Like just the culture's cool, the scenery's cool. Um, it's one of those places where I'm I'll definitely be going back at some point. Um, and I can't say that about every place I visit. So how was, uh, how was your, your, uh, your stay in Scotland? I love Scotland. I, uh, my fiance's family is from Scotland. Um, her sister lives there still now. Um, I've been, we've been going there every year there now for the past few years. Um, obviously, cause we can get away for the pretty cheap. We just set up price alerts mm-hmm. for the flights to get below 400 bucks. They get below 400 bucks. We get picked up at the airport and we're staying with her sister. So, I mean, we can get there and, you know, sounds like a big expensive trip, but you know, we're getting away with it once a year for less than two grand. Right. Um, so it's awesome. I love it. I, I mean, I, <laughs> how can I put this? This is going to sound really stupid. Like, obviously the culture is awesome. I love the museums. I love the history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a bit of a rebel stripe in me when it comes to like, you know, I just love the story of Scotland and like, you know, big middle finger to this, to the king yeah. and that thing. Yeah. Um, and so I love it. I love going out there. I love the, I love the weather. A lot of people don't like the weather. I love light rain and light cold. Mm-hmm. I'm always hot. I'm sweating right now. And I've got <laughs> that, like 60 degrees in here. And then I love good, good beer. So yeah. like those two things and then being able to go check out museums or do a stag hunt and, you know, right. love good scotches and stuff. So I, I loved it. It was a great time and it, it's an amazing place. And I have, you know, recommend anyone who hasn't been to go. Yeah, for sure. I always tell people that too. There was someone who I met not so long ago. I forget who it was. And they were, I think they were getting ready to go to Scotland. And I was like, dude, you're going to have, a, you're going to have a blast. I was like, it was one of my favorite places to go. And I think the thing that people, if they don't travel, you know, if they don't get the opportunity to travel outside the U S and when I say outside the U S like somewhere over, you know, in Europe or whatever the case is, like we get a sense of history in the, in the States when we see different things, it's like, Oh, this is a couple hundred years old. It's like, when you go over there, and you're yeah. looking at something, it's like a whole different level of, of historical oh. context. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've got um, now there's an awesome pub that I went to in Edinburgh and I'm going to have to look it up because I, I don't want to mess the year up. And um, and they've got in the back. I want to say it's a weird name and I don't remember what it's called, but it's like bowling. But you essentially have a bowling alley. It's a small ball, kind of like duck pin, which you guys do in Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. I've um, never heard of it, but yeah, sure. We do all kinds of, weird you've never heard here. of duck pin bowling. No. It's like miniature bowling. I thought it was a Pennsylvania thing. Um, but anyway, uh, you, but you set up your own pins. So like you have a bowling alley, you walk down the side, you set up your own pins. That bowling alley has been in that form since like the 1800s. Jeez. Like, like the same setup and wood and everything. Right. Um, and the pub itself, I believe it's in Edinburgh. But I want to say it's something like thirteen ninety nine or something Jeez. like that. Yeah, so you, awesome. it's like way, way older than anything that we have over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And going in there and just like getting a pint and the bar's pretty much set up the way it's always been set up. I mean, that to me is just I love that kind of stuff. Like that just yeah. blows my mind. My, my favorite uh, place to visit while we were over there was actually um, 
Perth, I think was the, was my favorite oh, place yeah. to go. It, that's along the sea, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 So there was, so old... I just looked it up. I just, sorry. I just, before we forget, I lose this. Um, it's called the sheep heed Inn, and it was opened in 1360. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. That's <laughs> it's in Duddington, Edinburgh. Yeah. So we, anyway, we ahead. stayed in the kingdom of Fife, which was like 40 minutes. I want to say North of Edinburgh. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, we, I, we traveled the whole coast. Like we, we did a trip around the coast and two years ago we went there in, um, January and I jumped into, I think it was the North sea. I jumped into the North sea when it was like 31 degrees or something like that. And it was, it's, we did it again this last year, a different part, but yeah, I mean, it's just right. One of those places where you get to experience it all. Yeah. Good beers, good scotches. Uh, I'll have to share the full, the full deets on this, maybe not on the podcast, but I, I may or may not have gotten into an, uh, an altercation at a pub <laughs> on my honeymoon, which is sounds like Scotland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was, there was a little bit of uh there was some disrespect from an Englishman and it, I didn't take well to it. We'll just, that's we'll, awesome. Yeah. So it was kind of funny. I became like the, uh, the pub hero for the night. It was kind of funny. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And then there was a really bad incident with like the bartender. He came back to our place and, and like, I had to throw him out. It got, it got weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah, that story afterwards. yeah for sure for sure um but man how was the stag hunt dude that's uh that's killer it was awesome it was like it was not at all what i expected you know like being i i don't i haven't done a lot of western hunting in fact i've done very little um i i've not done i guess the closest thing i've done to it was maybe like moose where you're really like running around a lot Mm-hmm. But the thing with Highland um, stag hunting is just like covering as much They're They are bugling or whatever it's called all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, like all day long, they're bugling. So it's not like you're trying to get the one to call back to you like you would with an elk or even like grunting a buck. You just sit and listen and you wait and then you run towards wherever they are. And you just the only thing about it is if you want to be super successful and do it for cheap, um, you need to be in really good shape. <laughs> Right. Okay. <laughs> because there's these like massive properties, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. And you just got to find out where like the, um, where the hot, um, they call them hinds, mm-hmm. like where the hot hind is. And then wait for a good stag to show up. That's like protecting her from the rest and is waiting to mate. And so we, we went all day and finally like found a proper stag, like a massive stag for the last part of the day. Um, and we we had like an hour left of sundown and I, it was like a 230 yard shot. Um, and it, the, 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 um, the, uh, stag was not getting into, like, it was basically behind like a hind and it was trying to like angle around her. And he was basically facing us the whole time. And the guy didn't like the shot because mm-hmm. you have to go in Scotland. You have to go with a guy. You can't go alone. You have right. to be yeah. the guy. Um, so we just kept waiting and waiting. He's, and finally it got like broadside and he's like, do you think you can make this shot? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can make this shot. Like, you know, we, I, I'd only shot at like a hundred yards, but you know, it was a 30 odd six and you know, right. You know, a couple inches up and you're good to go. And so took the shot and dropped it. And it was, I've got an awesome video of the whole thing. And yeah, I'll send you the picture afterwards. So maybe you can use the picture, the grip and grin for the, yeah. uh, yeah, well, I know you texted me one. Um, but yeah, send me a fresh one that I can, that I can use, but yeah, that was in just the scenery there. It's funny. Cause when you think, when people think of Scotland or Ireland or whatever the case is, they think of like, oh yeah, it's, it's nice and green. Right. 
But until you're like there and actually seeing it, it doesn't pictures that you see or what you see on TV or whatever really just doesn't do it justice until you're there. And just like how green and like alive and vibrant everything really is. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like the it's the, the picture you sent me was it looked like a a still image that was taken from Lord of the Rings and, yeah. they, and, they, and they put you in it. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. it, that's what it looked like. That's a good description of it, because it really is like you have these like postcard images of what these places look like. But it's so you would there were parts on that like we had driven driven far enough and gone long and like we had a vehicle and we you know put on probably fifteen or twenty miles that day, um, and certain parts of it you were, you you would think you're in Oregon or something right. or like in the west somewhere, and then you know you just get to a side of the mountain where the where the wind's not as much and now it's turning green and lush, you know it's more like traditional Scotland, so it's just yeah it's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those places where if you haven't been, you definitely have to put it on your bucket list to go to go check out. And I think that what, what you mentioned about g- having to go with a guide like that people, if you I forget where we were looking to go on vacation, it might have been like Iceland or something like that. I think we were going to try to go to like right before, like all the weird pandemic stuff kind of like happened and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I was looking, I was like, oh, cool, we'll go to Iceland. You know, I'll try to find somewhere to hunt. It was the same thing. Like, it, you know, it was kind of at least for this family trip particularly, it was kind of cost prohibitive to do because you have to kind of have a guide and you have a specific place that you can hunt and stuff like that. And it's not, I think as much as we complain about things, I think in the States about hunting, it, when you go other places and try to do it and you come back, you realize, man, we got it pretty good here as far as being able to hunt whenever, wherever we want, however we want, you know, within reason and within regulations. Yeah. I mean, in Scotland, it was, again, it was beautiful and I loved it and I'll do it again probably, but like, the guy has to have the rifle the whole time. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to carry it. You're not allowed to handle the meat. You're not allowed to dress it. Like I wanted to dress the animal. I was like, Hey, can I dress this? And he's like, why I'll dress it. And I was like, well, cause I want the experience. Like I want to go through the, you know, and he's like, well, we have to get a certain permit from the government in order for you to be able to handle meat that people are going to consume. Yeah. And I was like, what? It's yeah. like, I just shot this thing. Right. And it's like, well, no, I, this guy has to take a course every year and show that he knows how to handle wild game meat and so that it's fit for consumption. And it's just like, holy smokes, man. Yeah. Like yeah. the thumb of government is it out here on the side of this mountain where we're, you know, 40 miles from anybody. I know. Right. What are they afraid? Like all of a sudden, like a drone's going to drop out of the sky right, and like exactly. be taking video of it all. Yeah. 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 It's kind of crazy, man. So what, uh, how was the rest of your season, man? So you were in, you were in Scotland for, for a period uh, getting after stags, got you a good stag. You get back here or, you know, or maybe you were here first and then went there. I can't remember exactly how the timing worked out, but how was, uh, how was your U S season? Maybe we'll say it that way. So I think I want to say, I won't say, I won't say who it was. Cause I don't want to name drop. I hate when people name drop. I was talking to somebody prominent in the hunting industry and he was asking me how my first year of hunting was going. Cause I, I knew him from a few years back. Mm-hmm. Just when I was just hunting and kind of like doing stuff in the military and I knew him through other guys and he was like, how is it going in hunting? And I'm, I said, well, I'm about to have my second year of not killing a buck in a row. And right. generally I'm getting one every two years at least. Right. Um, like three years ago, I had three in one year. And when I mean a buck, I mean like good bucks, like 140 plus. Um, and he said, yeah, if you want to be successful at hunting, don't get into the hunting business. Yeah, man, it's <laughs> it's funny you say that, man, because like every one of my friends who are in the hunting in the hunting business, and when I say hunting business, not like media side, but like 
company or product like ownership side of things, right? It's it's the same thing. Like my buddy it's Chad. It's your busiest time of the year. Yeah. Chad, my buddy, I mean, you know Chad from, from yep, Nexus. Yep. You know, he now he's very, very picky um about what he kills because he's killed you no, know, he's he's has Boone and Crockett's on his wall, so he's you know, he's pretty choosy. But he'll go for it's nothing for him to go four years and not kill anything. He'll see some like one thirties, maybe a one forty and pass it or whatever. But you know, to your point, it's like as he was building his business, I think he feels now, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I would assume he feels kind of like he's at a point or the business is at a point where he is able to kind of step away. He has staff. Now he can like walk away for like a week if he wants to and go hunt. And this was really the first year that I've seen him do that in all the years I've known him. And so you're hundred percent right, man. All my buddies who work in the, in the space, it's like, they always say that they're like, man, be careful what you ask for. Cause you're not going to yeah. hunt nearly as much as you do now, probably. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, well, there was a conflation of things that happened to me this year. Well, I didn't get, so long story short, we were trying to get the app out by October 1st and back to back and not to get like drew, like, you know, in the dumps here, it's just the reality of the situation. My co-founder's father died from COVID in Florida and he had to leave and take care of his father's whole estate, which yeah. moved our timeline to the right. Cause he's, you know, one yeah. of the major implementers on the project and he was gone for like two and a half weeks as the day after he gets back my mother dies from covid or not from covid my mother dies from copd his father died from covid and um then i had to leave yeah so we didn't end up getting the product out until like november 6th obviously you got to take care of that stuff but it's just like you know the consumer on the consumer side of the house as they shouldn't they don't care about what's going on they just want the product Right. So, you know, everyone's like, where's the product? I thought it was going to be out in October. What's going on? And we had all of this stuff going on. And then um, we finally got it out. And I think like November 2nd or 3rd, like obviously we had the testing version out before that. And we had a few thousand people on the testing version, but the actual full product release wasn't until November. Right. Um, so all of October, generally that's what I'm doing. My scouting, uh, like as I'm starting to look for like fresh scrapes, especially on public, cause they're not always in the same spot. Like my mm -hmm. method during the rut is very scrape centric. Yep. So October for me is spent just looking for scrapes and running cameras over scrapes. And I didn't get to do any of that this year. And then we had right during prime rut, we had our veterans hunt, yep. which was, uh, you know, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, like truly. And we're doing another one this year. And, uh, so when we did that, that veterans hunt, uh, my first experience with a good buck, it's a pretty funny story. Um, I was taking out a buddy of mine who was, a, a, we were, well, we were in two different troops. Um, he's in the Joint Special Operations Command, and I was attached to a troop when we were in Afghanistan at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he was out on this veterans hunt because um, he's also a pro staffer on the company. Um, but he, his thing is like Western game and bear and where he lives. That's really what he's focused on. And he just moved out to the East Coast here a few years ago and really hadn't done any whitetail hunting. So I took him out whitetail hunting and he was inside of this like dryad saddle. Have you heard of dryad? I'm uh, not even dropping number or dropping names for them. Cause I don't use saddle. I don't really, I've used a saddle once in my life. I was going to say, but, I um, saw a picture of you in a saddle and I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, but, that yeah, was the only ahead. time I've done it. So, but uh, what I'm saying is, is like, I, I'm not plugging like, yeah. well, actually, no, I will plug. I, 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 I well, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm going to do it because of the nature of the story. Um, he was in the saddle, which is essentially like a big sleeping bag. Oh, I have seen those. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it it's like a big um, uh, uh, yeah, it's like it's like a hammock, like a big hammock is the best yeah. way to put it. 
And he pulled, he had it up and it was cold outside. It was blowing. It was like November 7th or something like that, or 8th maybe or something. And we were in this good spot that I knew had good deer coming through it. I had scouted it with a buddy of mine earlier in the year. We, we, I knew it was a good spot. And like we hunted there for two days and did not see squat. <laughs> well, maybe we saw a doe or something. Right. But I, I just, these mountain bucks, I knew eventually at some point a buck was going to travel through. And so the last day that he could hunt that afternoon, um, he was actually texting me, trying to talk me into getting down and like, Hey, let's, can we just like, it's 4 PM. Let's just go. And I'm like, no dude, it is magic hour on like November 8th or 9th or whatever. Right, yeah. It's like, this is the time. And he's like, well, my fingers are cold, blah, blah, whatever. And so I was like, just wait another hour and a half or whatever it was. Sure enough at like 10 to five, like a 140, chocolate antlered 140 comes walking through and I'm staring at it and it's like right under me. And I could have, you know, put an arrow right in them. And, but I wanted my buddy to take them because this was a veteran's hunt and this guy's active duty still. And I want him to be the one to kill it. How would it look if we do a veteran's hunt and the only guy that kills is the CEO of the company? <laughs> so I'm texting him. I'm trying to text him and I'm like, hey, dude, what, what, what's going Like, are you going to shoot this animal? Like, what's going on? Like, this is a prize buck right here, this, especially for this area that we're in. And he's not moving over there. And I see his elbows kind of like moving and I'm like, okay, he must be getting himself ready or getting the saddle down or moving slowly. And like three minutes go by. I'm just dropping him text messages. And finally, I, he's like 30 or 40 yards away from me. So this buck is angling away from him. So I'm just like, Meh, to try to get his attention. And the buck looks my way and then starts taking off. And then he drops his head out of the saddle and looks and the buck's taking off. So all he saw was a buck running away from him. Uh, and <laughs> So yeah, that was my first like large buck experience this year. Then I hunted near there by myself, like uh, December second, in a separate spot in like a bottom, and um, I had it was a it was it was rifle. It was, a, it was the opener of rifle or right after the opener of rifle. Maybe it was the sixth of December. I don't remember, but again in Pennsylvania, and I had like a probably one forty class again just behind trees that I didn't see when I was coming down a point. All I saw were a bunch of does. So I was trying to get down this point because I'd seen bucks rutting in the area a couple of days earlier and there was, you know, some rutting activity going on. And so all these does were together. I sneak down, I'm looking over the does and all of a sudden I like just for no reason, just look to my left and there's like a 140 class buck looking straight up at me. Um, and his body was behind trees. All mm -hmm. I could see was like part of his face. Yeah. And he's just staring right at me. Like he has my number drawn and um, I'm staring at him, just waiting for him to step out. He really just needed to take like a foot, a step or foot, a step or two out. And all of a sudden this younger buck comes through and just nails this whole group of does and just starts like rah, 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 just going through this group. And all of the does got up and ran and then he ran. So that was my second experience um, this year, but I only hunted on my own a whitetail. Well, the veterans hunt, I was taking out somebody else and we saw one good buck during that veterans hunt and that was in PA. And then on my own, I think I hunted four or five times. Right. So, you know, that's what it was this season. I did kill five doe this year, four doe this year. Nice. One, two, three, four. Yeah, at least four doe this year. Right. Some freezer um, meat. That's always good. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, I went, I did a hunt with the seek one guys out in Atlanta where I killed two bucks or two does out there as well. Nice. Um, where we were just trying to stack does. Nice. So yeah, it was, it, it, you know, 
four so, four does in a, in, a, in the is good for me. I, I'm totally happy with that. Right, and you got some good stories, man. Those are those are good stories. But it sounds like you and I need to hunt together because my season this year was like yours. I had I won't tell the story again because people listen to this show are probably sick of me talking about it. But multiple near miss opportunities in Kansas and two near miss opportunities in Pennsylvania on target deer. And so my theory is is like next year I'm going to be filling tags Idaho elk. Pennsylvania mountain buck, and then likely Kansas. Like, so I was like, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I had bad luck last year. So this year means all the tags I get are going to be filled. At least that's what I'm saying now. Right. It's like the off season of, of the NFL, you know, right. the, the, <laughs> the Jaguars always have hope this time of year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think I'll be able to spend more time hunting this year. Um, and we'll have this veterans hunt that I'm going to get ready for as well. I'm going to head back up. I've been scouting some with John Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, for the veterans hunt next year, we've identified a couple good spots. Um, he's got some places down in Ohio. We're still trying to nail down exactly where we're going to do it right now. It's a toss up between doing PA again, um, Ohio down in the Shawnee or in North Dakota. Right. So those are like the three places we're looking at doing our veterans hunt this year, but the veterans hunt last year was awesome. Nice. I think we raised like 5,000 bucks for the boot campaign. Um, we ended up getting four or five guys out there got them a bunch of gear from a bunch of companies, a bunch of like trail cameras. Um, there was a couple of bows given away, um, nice. a bunch of first light camo and some saddles. And yeah, it was a good time. It was, it was, it was awesome. So we look, we really look forward to doing it this year, having a lot more lead time this year too, as we get ready for it. So right. more people can enter it and hopefully we can raise more money for these veterans nice. um, associations. So what was, uh, what was the most rewarding part of, last hunting season knowing that you know you had some near misses and stuff like that but when you walk away from it, you look back at it, what was the most uh, rewarding part of it I, I guess the most rewarding part so there's a couple right and so there's a couple things that i think of when you ask that question the first thing is is if you like look at our instagram we i think we posted four or five guys who took like their first big deer this year that they've been targeting where they kind of a couple of stories guys were like i just wanted to trust that your neural network and just not hunt till it told me i should be hunting and pr- get the pressure off the deer obviously they had heard me on podcasts like ones like this because people always ask me okay how do i use this neural network and it's like well it kind of depends on how you're set up and if you own the land or not yeah. you know it's not it's not something that's just going to tell you how to kill deer it's something that you still you still need to scout when you're using it you still need all of everything else needs to be there and this should all this should do is give you a nudge one way or, or direction or the other on choosing stands or when to go and actually hunt. So guys would message and say, you know, I trusted the neural network. I did X, Y, and Z, and I got on my first big deer. And none of these guys were like, you know, of course I'll get those messages where somebody's looking to like get on the pro staff or somebody's trying to do X, Y, or Z, and they're just right. whatever. But these guys are just, I think we probably had 25 or 30 or so where they were just genuinely excited about their first large buck on the ground or their first doe on the ground. And so getting those messages and hearing from those people and, and, and that kind of affirmation of what I'm trying to do, which is just make people more successful when they're afield, um, was awesome. And so that's what I've been oriented towards doing and what I've wanted to do. And then doing it also at a price that's tenable, you know, that for, especially, you know, people from my background where you, there's not a lot of t- a ton of money to spend, you know, you can still get it done and you're getting a lot more product for a lot less buck. Um, 
that yeah. that was awesome. So doing that was great for me. And then I guess the other thing that I immediately thought of when you asked that question was um, we had when I was with the Sequan guys in Georgia, we were hunting, doing like doe, um, just basically trimming down their doe population on the properties they had access to where the does were super, super, there's too many does. Mm -hmm. There's just so many does down there. And you wouldn't believe how many deer you see um, in some of these areas just because, and they're all, you know, some of those areas, those deer are not healthy. Mm -hmm. So they need to be thinned out just so there's enough food. Um, but then I think we killed 13 deer in like three days or two days, all of bows. Um, and then all of that went to, um, you know, needy, needy uh, shelters and needy families in the area. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, knocking all that, having a great time doing that with people that you enjoy their company. Uh, Crispy was out there as well with the Seek One guys. Having those guys out there, having a good time, you know, cutting it up, slinging some arrows, no pressure about killing big bucks, just trying to, you know, knock down some does and have a good time doing it. Um, and knowing it was going towards a good thing, it's like you're getting all of the positive reinforcement and emotion that you can get, right? Like you're doing what you love, you're hunting, you're with good friends. You're, it's getting donated. Um, there's none of the pressure that you might put on yourself when you're trying to kill like a big buck. It's just like all of those things put together. It was extremely rewarding. Great time. Nice. Uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Nice, man. That's awesome. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, I like the, going back to the, the neural network um, piece, you know, I, I love that people are, you know, inquiring how to use it. I, I've certainly had people reach out to me and say, Hey, how, how are you using this thing? And the way, and like you said, it's kind of use case specific. It depends on what, are, what you're hunting, how you hunt and, and those types of things. And I'm, I'm very similar to you where I hunt a lot of scrapes, you know, and that's kind of what I, what I focus on. And I've run trail cameras over them for periods of years. And I kind of know when scrapes are going to turn on or off and things like that, based on, you know, the annual data. And then what I really have been using that, uh, the neural kind of network for, is that if I know it, I'm in the window, let's say for, cause it played out like this this year. I was just, I was li literally, I hunted that evening into the 22nd. So I left it dark, whatever it was like six 30 roughly, you know, uh, I want to say it was like maybe October 22nd. I don't remember exactly what time it gets dark. Let's just say six 30. And yeah. the buck I was trying to kill came through the next morning. I think it like between eight 30 and nine o'clock. So I yeah. literally missed him by like hours. Right. And the reason why I was at that spot and not, a big, another primary scrape that I had him on previously was that the wind was wrong for me to hunt that spot first and foremost. And then when I looked at my, and I knew he was bedded close to that spot. Cause I was getting him at like just crazy times of the day. And I actually had him bedded in that scrape two multiple times. Oh, wow. And so I knew I was close to his bedroom. And when I looked at the, the neural network and it, it was telling me that it was going to be a transition area day, what that told me was, was like, all right, I'm still going to have a shot to kill him. Even if I'm a little outside of his bedroom, I can be a little yep. further away where I can have a better wind and try to kill him there. And so, and that's what I've kind of told people. It's like, that's a lot of times how I'll use it. It's like, I definitely use it to watch movement, but still wind is going to trump everything. If I have the right wind and everything for the, for the spot, I was like, but then what I use it for is that, do I have 
one or two other spots in and around where I'm trying to kill that deer that are better for the wind that I have? And are they in those transition areas that on those transition days that I can use those versus like pushing too much risk into his core area? You know, I was like, that's really, I was like, that's really how I started using it. And that's just how it works for me based on how I hunt. Other people might use it differently, but that was, that's the example I always kind of give people. Yeah, that, that's a great usage of it. I have a buddy down south, too, that um, had a, a a buck that he knew was betting on a property he had no access to. Mm-hmm. But he found with like 70 or 80 percent accuracy where he had his camera set up when it was a full range day, he would see that buck over on this other property. In other words, the buck was really leaving a long ways from his core area and he was out there either searching for hot does or just you know, for whatever reason, the neural network was, you know, predicting pretty well when this deer was going to be moving more than often. And as soon as he told me that, he started just getting all core area days where he was never seeing the deer. And then he waited for the first full range day, which I think he waited like two or three weeks or something like that. And on the first full range day, he went into the spot that he had access to. And sure enough, that buck showed up at last light and he put an arrow through it. And, you know, it was a massive buck. I mean, a massive buck. Right. Um, So that, that, to me, like those two scenarios, you still have to scout. You still have to know what's going on in the woods. You still have to know what the winds are. It's it's every you know a lot of people, you know my my son all the time will send me screenshots from like bow hunting forums where people are talking about Spartan Forge and the neural network, and right. a lot of guys will be like, I don't need a neural network to tell me how to hunt. Fine, that's great. I get it. Like, and I'm not trying to build something that's going to tell you how to hunt. Like, that's not the that's not the point. The point is. You're probably a busy person with a job and a family, um, and you don't have time to sit there and pour through all of your notes and research and weather and all of those things. And if a neural network can get, can just kind of nudge you in one way or the other because it's built on real life data, and it can save you time. Either you get this guy gets more time with mama or his kids or whatever, and and can still be successful. You still have to know all the other factors. You still have to be a deer hunter at the end of the day, right? Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's another input. And that was the one thing for me this year. And, you know, and I, I'm still a deer hunter, but I was certainly factoring in things that things that I was learning and picking up from the app and stuff like that, especially like the neural network stuff. And I hunted way more strategic this year than I have probably in years past and probably was more patient than I have been in years past. And I had more uh, bow range encounters with target deer than I have had probably the past two years combined. You know, and that I mean? says a lot up where you are because I mean, it's hard hunting up there. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not agriculture, farm country, which there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right. Like I, I go to the Midwest and hunt. All I'm saying is when you're having more successful encounter, if you're having a successful encounter with big deer in places like Pennsylvania or something like that, or New York, mm-hmm. you know, and you you have two or three of those a year. That to me is a successful year in, in, oh my in God, yeah. itself. Yeah, that's what I always that's what I always kind of ex- explain to people. I'm like, if I have if I have one really good quality encounter with a deer that I'm targeting, I was mm. like, that's I was like that to me as like that was a good year. I was like, because some some people won't have a encounter with a target animal. You know, what I mean, during the course of the year, you know, I was like, or ever. Yeah, I was like, and sometimes like this year was just behind brush, you know, couldn't get drawn because he was looking in my direction, just like stuff like that. That's just bow hunting. You know, I was like, and you know, it's like, I beat him at the game. I I won the chess match. I just didn't finish. You just couldn't finish him off. Right. And that's just like a whole other 
evolution when you get to that Andy May level where it doesn't matter that deer's dying. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I you mean, know. and that's why I kind of assembled the pro staff the way that I did, because our pro staff are guys that consist and gals that consistently get it done in places where most people think big deer aren't there yeah. or haven't been there in years. Like whether it's Andy May in places like Michigan or it's Johnny Stewart in Pennsylvania or the Shawnee, like following, like I, one of my favorite things to do is just go scouting with John because yeah. It's just, you know, it, it is a, it is a, it, it, what is it? It's a master level course in woodsmanship yeah. and you're spending two hours with the guy in the woods and you're, you're getting more than you'll get from 15 hours of YouTube videos. Yeah. And you can't, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a nicer guy too, willing to yeah, just share, absolutely. you know, that's the thing about, I love about Johnny is that, I mean, he's, he's killed a lot of really good deer and he's very unassuming and he is just. You know, and he's even said it to me. He's like, look, he's like, I don't need, he's like, yeah, if I have a good one, I want to go kill it. He's like, then I'll, 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 I'll try to go kill it. He's like, but he's like, I actually, I'm at the point now where he's like, I've got plenty of deer on the wall that are good bucks. He was like, I really just want to see other people kill deer, you yeah. know? And I was like, and that says something about not just how good he is as a hunter, but also just, you know, the, the type of person that he is, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the natural evolution of like the ethical hunter. You know I, would agree, I, mean? I would agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think you get to a point where you more enjoy watching the youth or people new to bow hunting or converting people, you know, get the shakes from losing an arrow on a doe than you are about doing it yourself. And, um, th that, and, but he can still do it on his own if he wants to. That's the thing. Like he set up our whole, um, veterans hunt as far as like spots and places to hunt and stuff. And three or four of those guys had encounters with mature deer and all of them saw deer and that is no small task yeah, to get in that done area. four That's days yeah. for that area of the Allegheny. It's just like, you have to know what you're doing yeah. because you let anyone else just go select stands or just go look for sp spots. People who don't know that area, like Johnny or Bo Martonic do. Um, and you, you're lucky if you see a deer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and so everyone saw deer, everyone saw bucks and three or four of the guys saw 130, 140 plus bucks. Right. I'm mean, including us. So, I mean, you know, my hat's off to those types of guys. Nice. So, man, now that we're, we're down the road here a little bit, as far as like, you know, the app is launched, you know, and I know we're going to get to the updates here because you got some cool stuff that's coming, you know, but people have had a chance to have it in their hands and use it. You've got some of those success stories, you know, and, and I certainly have used it and have had, you know, success with it in terms of helping being, helping me be in the right spots at the right time. If you take a minute and you just kind of look back and you, and you think about, you know, the performance of the app and just like what you've learned after aggregating all the collared deer data that you had to kind of aggregate to, to make this thing come to life. What are some of the things of the collared deer data or just deer behavior in general that you've learned through this process that kind of really stick out to you, whether it's like specific behaviors, trends, scrape activity, is there anything to you that kind of really sticks out that, you know, that popped out to you after you, after you kind of launched this project and you had a chance to step back and be like, wow, I didn't really ever, I didn't think that was actually happening. Yeah. So I guess the, so this isn't going to be as sexy for everyone as it probably could be. There are some things that are, you know, insane. Like you wouldn't think this happens with deer and I can tell those stories, but I've told them on other podcasts. One of the ones that I've not really talked a ton about. In fact, I think I've only talked about it on one other podcast is um, when it comes to scraping activity, now, when I break down deer, collar deer data, and I'm, I'm just simply plotting the points of a deer, and then maybe I get some GPS data where there's two or three mature bucks in that GPS data. 
from a particular region where they will interact with each other. Then I will I'll, I'll plot those all of those deer and look them look at their behaviors in the same like temporal um, uh, breakdowns. So like I'm looking at these three deer during pre rut, rut post rut, secondary rut, and then you know winter time essentially like end of season. And one of the things that I that I I see in there, and I'm still actually so we have three. Well, I should say right now we have one academic that I work with pretty much all the time um, when I'm looking through this data. And it's something I've been kicking around with him. I don't think he has looked at the data in the same way that I have because he's looking at it. He's looking at it with the eyes of an academic Mm -hmm. or of a biologist, whereas I'm looking at it with the eyes of a hunter. Mm -hmm. And those are two very separate things. Um, There are some academics who are starting to like adopt or like try to pull out information that's good for hunters. But we have some really interesting podcasts coming up um, that'll be on the Spartan Forge channel that are just focused on getting hunters in the room with academics and talking about these types of things. So I'm pretty excited about those. One of the things that I want them to talk about, and this could be a little bit of a, of a primer for that, is it seems to me that there is scraping that is specifically for mature bucks, or at least bucks that know what they're doing in the woods um that get that are the usage of these scrapes increase and they're usually only near buck bedding that is adjacent to other buck bedding so you can think about it this way and now this is not a hard and fast theory there's none of this is proven this is all conjecture. yeah this is just my observations and it could just be that this is just the data that i've looked at so don't take this to the bank but you can think about it this way Say you have a big ridge system with like three fingers coming off of it. Um, and all of the fingers present apple opportunities for buck bedding, especially during the early season. Okay, so I'm going to try to, so for people who are listening, I'm going to try to build a, 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 a visual. So you're facing an east to west ridge system. And then um, you, so let's just say you're on the north side of that ridge facing the east or west ridge system. And then you have three fingers that are all coming towards you or near you. And you might say that that's like the, the bowl at the bottom where all those ridges come together. So you're staring up and looking at those three ridges, those, that ridge system with the three fingers on it that are coming towards you. Just if that makes sense. Am I making sense? Yeah, it's like almost like a turkey foot or something like that. Would be yeah, coming yeah, off coming the off the ridge yeah. system like yeah. that. Right? Yep. So um, what... What I'm seeing in the data, especially like mountain data and um, eastern eastern part of the U.S. data, I'm not seeing it as much in the Midwest, but really in the east, is somewhere at the top of that ridge between these fingers, there will be, a, especially leading up to the rut, a scrape up there that all of these bucks are checking pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. And the doe data that I see don't have a ton of doe going through and checking through this scrape. So I've coined it a competition scrape Hmm. or like a uh, kind of like a scrape for deer to say who's who in the zoo for bucks. And I don't find that like one or two year old deer check them a ton. What I'll find is and it's only at night. So it's not something you really want to hunt until it's close. Now, if it's getting close to the rut, you can hunt them. Right. I shouldn't say that. They will check them very close to the rut. But generally, if you were to run trail camera over these and look at them, Bucks are either walking downwind of them and not working them, especially mature bucks, or when they mature bucks are working them, they're at night. Um, so it's not a good place for hunting, but it is a good place to get an inventory of bucks 
when you find these types of scrapes. Um, and I, I've only been looking at this for about the last year, but now every time I get new GPS data, it's the first thing I do when I plot and look for the data. I look for these types of what I'm coining as competition scrapes. So it could be, now again, I, I feel like I should set all of these primers because you know, I'm not an academic. I'm not looking at this with the eyes of an academic. I haven't put this through any peer review. These are just my theories. Um, it could be that, you know, I get more inclusive data that's got young, more younger bucks and more does, and it turns out they're working them just as often as other ones do. That doesn't seem to be the case in the data that I'm looking at. It right. seems like there are specific scrapes that are meant for the wiser bucks of the woods to kind of get an idea of who is who and 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 that is the purpose of it. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, just in theory, it makes sense, right? It's like because those secondary ridges, you know, oftentimes are where bucks want to bed, right? Because it gets them away from the primary traffic of any any younger deer or does or anything like that that are using the ridge system tra to travel, right? Yeah. Um, and if it's right outside their bedroom and just say, for example, that there's a buck bedded on each one of those those ridges, why wouldn't they check? Right. Like right. they're, they're going to pass by there just by if for nothing else, by happenstance with relative frequency, just but based on the location of it. You know what I mean? So it makes it makes sense to me. And I'm trying to think of like places where I may have seen that and I can't. I'm going to I'm going to be looking for that now because it just makes it just makes too much sense. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I need to look at this with more data. I've got maybe three or four studies where I see this and I've got something like you know, 70 studies of data, mm -hmm. but I haven't gone back at the, and looked at these old studies. And a lot of studies don't just focus on bucks. So a lot of studies will have, in fact, I would say a lot of my deer studies um, have maybe 10% of the deer are bucks. Right. And then 90% you know, are either young bucks or fawns or does because they're trying to look at fawn recruitment or they're trying to look at yeah. effects of wolf population or coyotes on deer. They're not necessarily concerned with, you know, <laughs> big old bucks right um, yeah, yeah, yeah. are harder to come by and trap yeah yeah so my yeah. data definitely probably has bias there's probably some flaws there and so um, i'm going to look into it more but it is one of the things that i plan on talking um with some of the academics as we do these um podcasts over the summer going nice. into next year that we have on board now nice awesome man i'll be looking forward to checking those checking those out because i always kind of nerd out on anything that is um kind of like biology driven, I guess, if you will, and in deer data driven. Um, I just think there's a, a level of insight there that, you know, can take you years to get in the woods, right. From a woodsmanship yeah. standpoint, right. If but you ever get it, if, yeah, that's a great point. If you ever get it right. And it doesn't mean that you're not a great deer. You could be a great deer hunter and still just never come across that or see it often enough to actually make the connection. Right. And yeah, that's what absolutely. I think is so, so cool about, about deer data. So, man, you have all this, you know, you've had all this, you know, data now at this point and you've been kind of, you know, working through the app. It's been launched and stuff like that. I'm really stoked. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of tell the folks that are listening. I, I got a chance to get a sneak peek to like the stuff that's coming, like the new updates. And I'm pretty stoked uh, on the things that you have coming up. And so I want to take some time now just to kind of get a sense of like, what can people expect in the next evolution of Spartan Forge, not, you know, in the immediate future? And then what are some things, if you can talk about any of them, that are things that are kind of like further down the road? Uh, and you don't have to give details. I don't want you to give any details necessarily, but just like, is there anything that you can wet people's whistle beyond the things that we have that are like in the, in the here and now? So let's do the here and now um, that we have. I know, I think it's 
roughly next week sometime i think is when the when the uh when the updates are coming out yeah so i, I plan to have them out in the next week of course testing always gets a vote and if i find some major bug or something the one thing i've learned is i'm trying to shy away now from exact dates when it comes to releases because there are too many factors that i don't control yeah. um you know i find a bug and then how long does it take either our guys or or a, a testing crew to run through and fix a bug and uh then retest the bug and get people out in the woods testing it and that's where our pro staff does so um you know we implement a fix to a bug and then some of the guys who help me with testing like bo martonic or with johnny stewart or andy all those guys use test versions of the apps um they they might be like hey i don't have to i have till i have friday i can go out and do this right because they're all working too right so and then i'm waiting on that so and then on top of all of that um i submit these um builds to apple and then Apple can take between the quickest I've ever seen them improve an update is four days. Yeah. Um, the slowest is 15 days. Yeah. So it can be two weeks after I even have something ready to release. So I preface all of that and saying, yeah. you know, people who listen, I hope they have some understanding that um, we're still a small company. Um, I think the last time you, you and I talked, there were three of us. Um, now there are, I think, 10 or 11 of us. Um, so we've grown a little bit, but, you know, we're certainly not like, you know, 70 people like some of the other shops that are doing these types of apps have but um so on the horizon the immediate horizon um very quickly we have what i'm calling like the lambda map which is essentially um we have maps right now that you can swipe through um you'll be able to access this lambda map will act as a fourth layer um and that fourth layer will have it's just a fully customizable map as it relates to trails property ownership data We've added a ton of property ownership data, um, even from our last build. Um, and there's, uh, so there's property ownership, there's agricultural data, there's forestry data, there's trail data. And you can basically just check boxes and highlight what data you want on your individual build of the app. Um, and you can swipe through that. And so you'll have those three standard layers, which are just kind of, the idea with this was, if we have guys who are just really simple with how they want to use apps, which is, look, I just want to drop pins. Right. And I, I, everything else is just, you know, th this app is to get me out of the woods in the middle of the night to look at the weather and to look at your neural network. And I don't need all of this other stuff. Well, then they have those three swiped maps that they can go through. And we'll also make it so you can um, access it through the maps button. Um, we're we're going to add that here pretty soon, but so they have that simple version of it but then that fourth layer that lambda map is for people like yourself that really want to get deep into the data and they want to you know i want to overlay property data and agricultural data on the same representation and then i want to look at where that might overlay with um you know new cut trails and i want to get six miles away from all of those things and you know, you know i just really want this esoteric um representation of all of this data that nobody else may want and i want it readily accessible so you can right. set that up and all of that's there um that we've our, our i believe our mapping data for our, what we call our high resolution um data which is between 5 and 15 centimeter resolution on the satellite imagery which is like it's so high resolution that if the angle is right you'd be able to like see people in the windows of their houses Right. Um, we had about 20 or 25 percent coverage of the U.S. Now we're at about 40 to 45 percent coverage of the U.S. And we're also introducing between two and seven years of historical imagery on those specific areas. 
but again, it's only 40% coverage of the US, but then we've also bought two new um, uh, US wide maps and Canada wide maps that are inside of there now too. So we're adding two maps, plus we're adding all of that high resolution data um, and all of that's accessible through that Lambda layer. But then another cool thing is you can mark like access to property um, and we will update you if your property access is changing or if it's changed. That was so super say, cool, man, for like, you can say, hey, I have this, you know, I got permission on this piece, you mark it. And then if it changes and you can actually mark the condition by which you have permission, it's either I ask, you know, I asked Bill if I could hunt his property. He told me no. So I mark it and then I mark it that he told me no. And then I know maybe I need to go back and follow up the following year and see if I can. Then there's like, you can mark it for conditions. So it's like, yeah, I got access, but I'm only allowed to shed hunt and turkey hunt it. And then you right. know that, right? And it's like, and then you know, well, can I sweet talk him the next year and maybe get like access to hunt does? And then maybe you get full permission and you mark it as full permission. But if it's, if for some reason Bill sells his property, I get a flag or I get a notification that I yep. think you said updates quarterly or roughly or whatever yep. or something yep. like that to where it's like, now I know that like, Hey, Bill sold his property. If I want to hunt it next year, I need to go back and talk to the new landowner and see if I can uh, procure the same, the same type of permission, which I think is, I think is awesome. Yeah. One of my biggest ways of being successful, especially on public land was gaining alternate access to public lands by knocking on doors. Yeah. So if somebody owns like, you know, 0.3 acres, but it butts up against public land and the deer aren't used to people accessing from there or it's saving you a two mile walk. I do a lot of that. Yeah. But then we also work with the seek one guys who are on our pro staff and they, they, you know, are knocking on doors all over. And, you know, you might have seven or eight houses that all share like a backyard that works out to be like three or four acres. And lo and behold, there's a 180 inch deer walking around in there because it's never been hunted before. It's all been left alone. So they knock on, I mean, it is insane when I go through their data, how many doors they knock on. So when you start talking about people who are successful with suburban hunting or alternate access to public land, you're knocking on a lot of doors and this keeps track for you. It, visually, you can show it the layer on your map and see where you have access, where you don't, and where you might need to seek access. But then you can keep it consistent between layers so that you can always monitor your access. And like you said, it'll update you if uh, access is changing or records are changing. Um, so yeah, I see that as an invaluable tool tool for people, um, especially when, and a lot of people are like, oh, I'm public land hunters. So that doesn't really um, Man, matter. Ac access to public land, like there's, especially if you live around where I live, I mean, there's so many private property pieces that butt up against the public where getting access through those are critical. Like there's one specifically I can think of that I, I just can't get access. I can't get permission to access through a piece of private. And I almost don't hunt it anymore because it's literally, I, the only access option you have that's public accessible is the worst possible access for the entire piece. And so I just, yeah. I stopped hunting it. I had killer deer in it the one year and I just could not, I couldn't get in without them knowing. Yeah, so I'll, don't let me not talk about that problem that you have right there because I have a feature I think is going to help okay. for that exactly what you're talking about. But I got to get to that when you talked about what's off in the distance. So the other thing was um, that we're coming out with later in the year is we had our topography and um, aerial imagery um, uh, uh, artificial intelligences that basically do um, an analysis of property that you want to hunt to tell you where you might want to scout or where you might want to look, put up some cameras or hang stands or whatever. Um, we were trying to get that artificial intelligence out over the spring here. Um, it's not performing. It's performing well, but it's not performing at the level where we want, we felt confident about it being in the market. 
Um, but we do anticipate being having that out before during at least during next hunt season. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people were to, if I were to go into the 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 how complicated that piece, that tool is, uh, I think people would you know get pretty excited about everything that's going into that. But you know we we work on that in the background. But of course we're trying to maintain all of these other updates while we do that. So um, uh, that, the other. That, yeah. I was just going to say the other feature, the other feature I really like too, is, you know, um, being able to kind of flip back through the map through time and see how it has changed. You know, I know that's, I know that that's one thing that, you know, a lot of guys will say old school guys before there were map apps that were available that were using old school Google earth, you know what I mean? And then using the timeline to kind of like look through it. That was one thing a lot of dudes really liked was to be able to not just from year to year, but almost even from like season to season, like, Hey, when, when do the leaves drop or when does it become bare? Just kind of knowing how, how the foliage changed or knowing, Hey, this new clear cut, I just found how old is it? I don't, I can't find any data on the age of this cut. Let me scroll back through time and see when the cut happened. You know, yeah. so stuff like that. It's awesome. Yeah. A lot of this, um, that data will be available and, and it's about 60% of, or I'm sorry, 40% of that data um will have between three and eight years of historical imagery but we are fanning out to include more areas so not every area is going to have that type of thing but what we'll have later in the summer is people will be able to for a small fee it's going to be you know uh, 200 acres will be like 10 or 20 bucks or something like that so but anyway you can order and choose your time of the year and have that imagery delivered to your app that'll be later in the year right so if we don't have it organic in there it's just it, it would be it would it would probably be between 25 and 30 million dollars for me to order all of this imagery for all of the united states and then i'd have to charge people through the roof for right that access to give everyone that and it just wouldn't the business model wouldn't work right. so what we're doing is is we've made an agreement with a company where you'll be able to basically draw a polygon and then you'll get a return that shows you all of the historical imagery for that area and then you can choose what you want to download for an extra price now that feature is not for every tom dick and harry that is for psychos like you and i <laughs> that really are willing to pay an extra 25 30 or 50 bucks right to to order some area for a public piece of ground mm-hmm. and to us that's what you know especially people who count their time is valuable yeah like i i can either go out and spend you know 18 hours looking in this ten thousand acre piece of land for all of the recent cuts or I can pay 50 bucks and order it for this, you know, or a hundred bucks and order it for this place and just go through it quickly. Uh, if it's not in our organic offering that we're giving people, then they'll be able to get to it that way. So that is a piece that's coming later. The other p- piece that I wanted to talk to you that'll be coming later over the summer, um, kind of nests with two things, but um, essentially what we're calling it is blue force tracker and blue force tracker is a term for the military. That means like my buddy, my buddies, like, say you're doing a military operation you uh, there's this piece of kit called an attack in the military and you it will essentially show you if the battle space hasn't been deconflicted well it'll let you know if there are other friendlies in the area so that you don't engage in friendly fire and kill an american or something like that so it's called a blue force tracker blue force being you know friendly forces um and then well not just americans it could be uk right right it's just making sure we're not shooting somebody who's on our own you know because Pat Tillman, for instance, was killed by friendly fire yeah. um, in the beginning of the war. So that was the problem. The, so we've adopted that. And what we're doing is 
um, there'll be two things you'll be able to do with Blue Force Tracker. Say you and I are, you know, good buddies who scout the exact same area. Like maybe you and Chad have like a piece of public that you both are constantly scouting. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to auto share points between you two and you'll be able to see where each other are going in this area as like a safety feature. If you project your GPS, then Chad will know when you're hunting, maybe you two get a lease together. Right. It'll tell you where everyone's been in there historically. It'll tell you, you'll auto share points between each other. And it'll be like um, uh, a an organic low friction way of understanding how you and your buddies are all using one space. So say you guys all go in, you know, save up your money and buy a 10,000 acre lease together when you're 60. Right. And you're like, you want to auto share points between each other. You want to know what stands are getting hunted the most, where people are being successful. You'll be able to auto share all that. But to your point earlier, when you talked about not being able to gain access, one of the things we're doing is we're going to build a free version of the app um, that you'll be able to pass to landowners. Oh, that's cool. So you'll be able to go to a landowner and say, hey, you know, I want to use your property for access or I want to hunt your property. And they're kind of like, well, I don't know how I feel about hunters or my neighbor had a bad experience. And you can say, hey, look, you know, get your smartphone out, download the landowner free version of the Spartan Forge app. You'll be able to see on, if you draw a polygon around your property, I'll allow you access and then you can see exactly how I'm using your property. So if right. you tell me, hey, you know, you know, my wife and kid, my wife and kid play in the backyards on Thursdays and Fridays. So you can hunt Monday to Wednesday that I can make as a landowner, make sure you're only in there to Monday, Wednesday. And I can see your GPS points inside of this my property right That's so cool. you know that people aren't abusing access they're not you know using someone's property to hunt like the neighbor's property that you couldn't get to or something like that it's just the, the goal there is to reduce friction between the hunter and the landowner um and then the other thing too it would be like if you're in the west where you have this landlocked land people don't want people on that property because they want to either protect their hunting rights or the bad, bad experience with hunters it's much more of a problem out west than it is here well, again, you can give them that app and just say, hey, download this free version of this app. And you're going to be able to communicate with me through the app, drop points or say the landowner is like, hey, I saw a massive buck the other day. He was right here. They can drop you that point and then you'll be able to see it on their property. Nice. Um, but then also they'll be able to see what you're doing on the property. And again, the, the goal there is to just encourage access, reduce friction between landowner and hunter and uh, 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 propagate hunting culture to people who might be weary about it or worried about how their land might be getting used or whatever. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I love that dude. Those, those last two are super killer dude. Like the, uh, I think the, the landowner play is, is, is slick. Um, just because even if they give you access, it's like, you kind of have to, especially if you don't know the person, you just kind of blindly throw and trust that this person is going to do what they say they're doing. Right. And it's like, I don't know you from Adam. So, I'm just taking a leap of faith here that you're going to do what you say you're doing, what you said you're going to do. You know? Yeah. And, and for the landowner, the hunter, right? Like say the land, let's say the hunter's back there uh, and the, and the, and the mother or the father can look at the app and say, Oh, you know, Clint is back in the woods. I'm not going to send Johnny back there to go play with his buddies because he might mess up Clint's hunt or, you know, Clint might think there's activity or there might be a deer coming and the kid pushes them or they're molesting the property or whatever. So that, so, you know, and they know when each other are back there again, and it's right. a safety thing and it's just, it helps everyone out involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Communication is key. Right. And that's just another forum. Yeah. And it just brings less friction to the communication. So you're not texting and bothering them. They're checking on you when they have to. And again, for the, for people who are listening, they can only see what you're doing inside of that box. 
Right. So that property, right? So they're not seeing you everywhere. They're just seeing you inside. Yeah, they're, of they're not. They're not big brother in you. They just know what's going on in their on their piece. You know? Yeah, and either can remove access and and say I don't want to share this anymore, and then you know the landowner can say okay, if you're not going to share your location inside of my property, then you can't hunt the property. Right. Yeah. Make, makes it makes it easy and clean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool, man. So one of the questions I always get, and I don't know. You know, I, I truthfully don't know. So I'm just I wanted to ask the question, you know, whenever people ask me about the about the app, you know, I give him like the download, like all the stuff I like about it and how I use it and stuff. And then they inevitably ask me, hey, if I'm going to transition from one app to another, can I move my waypoints from Garmin or from whatever? You know, what I mean, like if yep. maybe they, maybe they have an in reach they use when they go out west. Right. Yep. And they want to have a they want to use a phone app just because it's more convenient. And maybe they still have the 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 hardware piece for like SOS. I use mine for SOS whenever I'm in like, you know, places where I might get into a, a, a situation where I have, I need a Holy shit button. Yeah. Um, is there something coming that they can kind of transition those, those waypoints from, you know, an app or whether it's from a, a Garmin unit or whatever the case is. Yeah. So as long as the product or the app that you're using produces a KSV or a KML file that can go on an SD card or, um, or a, or a binary file. So like the other hunt, hunting apps that are out there um, allow you to download your points so that you can display them in like Google Earth. Mm -hmm. um, the other prominent ones do and ours does well as well. Then you will be able to, with our online web app, which will be out this spring sometime, like basically all the Spartan Force features, but on a computer, you'll be able to download your points from other apps. Then you just drop them into the import file on Spartan Forge and all of those pins will pop up on the screen. That's awesome, man. I love that. That's killer. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, you know, that's one of the things like like people's waypoints, man, it's like gold, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, so it's absolutely. like, I always understand their trepidation, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I'm like, you know, but you just need to take the plunge and whenever the, uh, whenever it's there, then you just, then, then you pour them all over and then you're good to go. So, yeah. I mean, speaking of people's waypoints being gold, we triple back up, um, all of the points. So as long as you have service and you've touched our system, we have a sync button and we triple backup points. So even if Amazon East goes down, like all of the servers in Amazon East go down and there's an outage, we will be able to migrate your points where they're backed up in a separate part of the US and make sure that you never lose your points. Because I know a lot of people who use some of the other bigger apps. Um, in fact, um, yeah. Levi Morgan, who's on with us now, left the last app that he was using. I don't like to talk smack, so I'm not going to say the name, but three times he lost like 2000 plus points. Oh, it happened to me. Like it, it happened to me previously. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. We, we, so what had happened? So we triple back up all of that stuff. And if you reach out to us either through our Instagram or through the support at SpartanForge.tech, we can get your points back on your device. As long as you entered them and got service. Right now, if you're offline or in the middle of nowhere and you entered some points, and then you drop your phone in the river. I'm not going to be able to get you those points. Right. Those are in the river. <laughs> those are in the river. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as long as you reconnect to the network right. and you push that sync button, it should automatically update. But sometimes if you're being paranoid like me, I always just push the sync button on the same. Um, yeah. Then you know that they're backed up and we cannot lose them. Right. It, it, you know, Jeff Bezos would have to nuke his whole infrastructure 
in order for us to lose your points. And he ain't doing that because he just got divorced. He's got he's got to pay his ex wife. Yeah, right? he's got to pay that money so she That's can right. do it. Got to get that money. <laughs> awesome, brother. Well, hey, dude, I want to be sensitive to your time. I know we both got family and uh, and stuff. I'm gonna actually try to eat some eat some dinner. I think. But uh, before I let you go, um, let folks know where they can find out more about Spartan Forge, where they can get Spartan Forge content, and where they can kind of follow along with everything you guys have going on. So if they just go to our Instagram, um, they, there's a link tree in there that gets them on our YouTube, that gets them on our Facebook, that gets them to our website. Um, all of that is in there. We will be putting out um, content and videos and through our pro staff over the spring and the summer. We will be doing another veterans hunt next year, so look out for that. Um, we're about to do um, a, a pro staff get together, an archery shoot, and we're going to be recording videos for you know how people use the app, how things, um, you know, uh, I would call them military best practices. All of those things um, that military best practices for hunters, all of those things will be getting recorded and released over the summer. And they'll be able to find those on our YouTube or through our pro staffs, YouTube, and then just go follow us on Instagram. And if they have questions like I answer, probably if you say, Hey, there's questions for bill on the Instagram when it comes to deer, I devote my Friday mornings prior to my workout when I'm taking my no explode about two hours in the morning where I just answer questions from people um, about deer movement or about how to use the app or features that are coming out or take ideas um, that people have. And I implement most of them. So, I mean, that is, you know, I've gotten two or three ideas from people that I've implemented that are just Joe off the street. Who was like, Hey, I think it'd be cool if it had this. And then I just do it. One of them was the moon under moon overhead underfoot moon rise, moon set, having that on the main content bar and other stuff. So, you're not going to get that from any other company. Um, I'm going to do that whether we have 20,000 users or 150 or 300,000 users. I will devote my mornings to making sure that people know that this is a product for hunters and by hunters and that they can reach out to me anytime they need to. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, man, I dig the app. I've been using it. People need to check it out, need to get on it and get it. Uh, it's obviously available at, on the, uh, wherever you get your iOS, iOS app, you know, your iOS app store and your Android app store, you know, people can find it there. Um, always good catching up with you, brother. Uh, get yourself some sleep, man. Don't work too hard. I know you're in the, I know you're in the fire now, but, uh, city life isn't too bad. Once you, once you get on the other side of this. You're right. I appreciate it, man. And good talking to you too. Stay in touch. All right, buddy. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. I'm Will Cooper host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.